0: Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book, hosted by Alexa Bigwarf.
1: I've been where you been, and
0: I felt what you feeling, and I don't want- All right, everyone, welcome to the 50th episode of the Publisher Podcast. This has been such a fun endeavor as we've brought in new guests and replayed some of our old episodes from uh, previous conferences that we've done and just tried to bring you fun and interesting topics. But for um, for the milestone episodes, we like to do something special. So I asked my core team members, the ladies who have been with me, from well nancy from almost the beginning and ray went shortly after that and sarah it feels like you've been with us the entire time <laughs> but um for a long time we won't count years but um i asked them to come in to have a roundtable discussion with me about some of the most important things that we've learned over the past few years working with all these incredible authors and working on many, many launches and many book production and and all the things that we've done to support authors along their journey. So what we're going to do tonight is each of us have come up with our top two topics that we wanted to bring to the table for things of discussion that are the key things that we have learned in the past few years. So we're gonna each go through um our our main point of topic and we'll have a discussion around each one of these, and then we'll do the second one and we'll have a discussion around each one of those. If this goes as planned, the way I foresee it in my head, we will have a really lovely discussion around some big things that we have learned along the way, some things we hope that our authors have learned, and some things that we hope we can help you if you're newer in your journey from um, from not doing before you make some of the mistakes. We're going to start with Sarah. I'll have Sarah jump in first, just because she's at the top left of my screen and looking like she's ready to share some wisdom. So what is your first topic that you wanted to discuss tonight?
1: Um, so when we talk about the things that I think have been really impactful for our authors, and I've seen it, you know, and once I noticed it, in our authors, I saw it all over the place in publishing. Is the power of being authentic in your <laughs> in your actions, in the way that you show up for your ideal readers, and just in general, like the way that you communicate with your audience. Whenever you're making a point of being authentic, and you're making a point of showing up as who you are, um, and I think that there's an idea that that has to mean like, oh, I spill my guts all over the internet or I have to share this like super personal thing. But I don't think that's it. I think that, you know, I've seen authors that we work with be very personal, private people, but still be extremely authentic in the way that they show up in their social media, in their newsletters, in their blogs, and they don't have to strip themselves bare to do it. Um, but it just helps connect with the audience so much better. And it's so much more meaningful to, um, you know, when you're going out there and you're putting yourself out there and using this as a book marketing tool, you know, being yourself and being true to your author voice and, and really sharing who you are is makes the difference. Um, you know, it's why, uh, uh, you know, authors succeed whenever they're not like just like a publicist can package you, but only you can show up for your yeah. audience as who you are.
0: Yeah, uh, there's so much validity to this. I mean, I think if we see anything in in uh, marketing and all of those author platform building, it's that people really crave the authenticity factor. Um, and it really speaks to kind of branding, developing your brand messaging, developing who you are and how you show up, how you talk about things, what you do, and like you said, it doesn't have to be um, sharing every detail of your life, but giving them enough so that you develop that brand that people can expect from you. In topics, Raywin is just nodding her head emphatically. Do you want to pop in from the social media side? How how this is yeah. True? Yeah,
2: definitely. I think actually that's like the, what you should be doing on your social media and within your emails. And like Sarah said, it is a hundred percent easy to do without spilling all of your guts. Like you don't have to be this like hot mess, open book. You could be a hot mess privately and no one knows about it, but they still know that you love cactuses or, you know, you have five cats. Like little tidbits of information that you can share that people will connect with, that's the authenticity we're talking about. We're not talking about, yeah, like going out there and being like, in my past life, I did all of these racy things <laughs> we're talking about. You know, things people can connect with authentically as opposed to people, you know, not know, like you're a person. And that's one of the fun things about social media and being an author right now, is that your readers can actually connect with you as opposed to in the past, like no one could connect with Jane Austen yeah. unless you lived in her city, you know? Like,
1: I think, Ray, when I was thinking, uh, when we were talking, I think it was in the um, WPS mentorship group this past week, we were talking a little bit about this. And I love talking to that group because we always get into really good discussions. Um, and one of the things that came up was somebody asked, like, what am I supposed to be talking about on all my platforms? And I was thinking about the difference with some of the authors we worked for. Like, I was thinking about Mardine and how Mardine seems like a really, like, I don't know her well, but she seems like a private person. And she put out a great thriller that we um, worked with her on at the beginning of 2021. And the way that she handled her launch, for example, like, you know, she... Um, you know, she, it was a medical thriller, you know, set in a dystopian future. And she like, you know, showed up in a medical office. She works in the medical field. It wasn't her office. It wasn't like showing where she works or anything, but talked to people and did this in a medical setting. She had a, her book was set in Albany, New York. So she went around and did like a tour of Albany. Um, And it was personal and true to her without being like let me tell you about my personal life or here's a picture of me Mm -hmm. or a picture of my home or whatever
2: that was and I really appreciated
1: those boundaries that she drew around it without like sacrificing her authenticity
2: yeah yeah exactly that was one of my favorite things um about after December with Casey when she was getting up to uh the release of after December for Casey Whitener she um she took you on a tour of the places that she, like a photo tour on social media. And I just think that that is so absolutely cool because if it's set in a real place, then yeah. why not connect with your audience on that level? And then you don't have to be sharing like nitty gritties. That's that's an authentic, yay, you're yay. there right there. Here's a picture of me, snap. You know, like that's yeah. an authentic way to share it. Yeah.
0: I totally agree. So authenticity is important as a wrap up of this one. It's important to show up who you are without having to give all the nitty gritty details, perhaps a glass and a half of wine before recording a podcast was not a good idea. Um, All the details of your life without, you know, you can be who you are. And sometimes you can weave those details in throughout the, throughout your messaging so that people understand that you are a normal human facing normal human types of things all right let's hop on down to nancy because she hasn't jumped in the conversation yet so what was your goodness we've worked on so many projects together with so many varying degrees of everything i can't wait to hear what
3: your biggest takeaway what one of your biggest takeaways has been over the past few years I mean, it's a lot, but actually, before I get into that, I wanted to jump in on the to city conversation because it ties into what I'm going to talk about, which is email engagement. So a lot of times we have seen authors who have um, a pretty good number of contacts on their email list, but they're not engaging with them on a regular basis. So part of that authenticity, which a word I can never pronounce, um, is showing up, right? Yeah. yeah, you know, and really building that relationship instead of just kind of being like a fair-weather friend where you just come around when, when it's time to sell something, right, when it's time to sell something or when you need to ask for something, and I think that readers really respond to regular, heartfelt communication from the authors that they like and follow. Um, There are authors who I always open their newsletters because even though I know that there's going to be something in there about buying their book, I also know that there's going to be other stuff in there that they're going to be sharing insight into their life um, and things like that. So, you know, it's really important to nurture your mailing list no matter how big it is, because you always have the potential for growth. But if you have five people or you have a thousand people, if it's stagnant, not going to do anything for you. So, you know, we have, we've had um, some authors who say, oh, I have a thousand people or I have 2000 people, but then you find out that they haven't emailed anybody on that list in a year or two years or they send the emails out very sporadically and then all of a sudden you start sending these emails about your upcoming book launch and it's radio silence Mm. because people have either forgotten about you or stopped opening your emails or they just don't care anymore you know like they moved on because you haven't nurtured that relationship so um email engagement is um a big lesson i think that we've seen with some of our authors and um even getting down to looking at the data the email engagement i have seen a big difference between um open rates that are sent to a warm list mm-hmm. and open rates that are sent to a cold list
0: oh, absolutely.
3: so maybe capturing email addresses like maybe through book funnel and stuff like that and you know, maybe you can start to build a relationship with those people, but you can't really count on a cold audience to drive your book launch.
0: That's absolutely. That that's only fashion.
3: comes from, right, building a relationship with your warm audience, the people that have been on your list for a while, the people who got on your list through some other means besides getting the ARC. You need those people and you need to pay attention to those people. Don't take them for granted. Yeah, you
0: know, we saw that really clearly in the Princess Monroe launch because um, I know I don't think Sarah was on board with us yet when we did that, but we did a phenomenal email list building facebook ads campaign i mean the the content was great great videos great um you know reviews from early readers and things like that and we were able to capture almost 1200 email addresses which is huge we did that in about 3 weeks so success absolutely for a cold audience. The problem was, it's exactly what Nancy just said. They were cold. They didn't know anything about Jody. They didn't know anything about the book. Yes, they were happy to download a free copy of the book. And it did result in 52 reviews on launch day, which was great for a first time author with relatively zero audience. But to Nancy's point, like 52 out of 1,200 people, if that was an engaged audience, a warm audience, you know, people who knew a little bit more than, um, What was going on, we probably could have seen much, much better results out of that. So you don't have to, to to add on to what you were saying. Like the it's called you mentioned the word nurturing, like that's exactly why email marketers call it a nurture sequence after someone signs up to your email list to take the time to really tell who you are, you know, let, give them some information, tell them about why you wrote your book, tell them different things, interesting things about you to make them see you as a person and as somebody that they want to continue, provide them value so that they want to keep opening your books. And sometimes that takes a lot of time. Sometimes that takes a little bit of time, but um, one of the, I was in, I did an interview in a group the other day and one of the ladies asked me, well, Aren't we worried? Aren't you worried that people will unsubscribe from your email list if you email them too many times? And I said, absolutely not. I mean, one, I gave them the example of Coles, which if I, I don't know if Coles is an is a national brand. I know it's definitely down in the south, but yeah, a shopping, uh, uh, uh what it's called, department store brand. Anyway. I get emails from them all the time. I delete them on a regular basis until it's the day that I need to go, you know, bulk shopping for my kids. And then I open every email I can find, hoping to find a coupon or, you know, the sale date or whatever. So no, you don't unsubscribe from the places that you may not read every email, but you're not going to unsubscribe to someone that you genuinely care about receiving information from. And if they do unsubscribe, whoop-de-doo, who cares? You don't want to have people on your email list that aren't taking any action. If they're not, if they're unsubscribing, they're not going to review your book. They're certainly not going to buy your book. So let them unsubscribe.
3: Yeah. And I mean, to that point, I mean, really the ultimate goal for most people is to sell your book. right? So you really need to think about what your goals are in building your list and engaging with your list. Um, and when you nurture a warm audience, that's the audience that you sell through. Yeah. You know, 52 reviews is great. Yeah. But none of those people were there because they bought the book. They were there because they got a free copy of the book. right? So like there's value in those reviews. But ultimately, if you had nurtured that list, you would have seen, we would have seen Sales. So it's really important to think about why you're asking people to join your list, why you're sending them emails, you know, what is your ultimate goal, and if it's sales, then it comes back to engagement, relationship building, and being authentic. So,
0: yeah. And you mentioned the book funnel, so I think it's a good opportunity. Like we love book funnel. They are a, a, an important partner to us. Um they they have uh, sponsored the summit last year and are sponsoring again this year. That's not why we love them. We use them for gosh, probably 5 years before they sponsored, before they came on oh, yeah. as a sponsor. We use them with all of our clients and with everything we do, we are hardcore book funnel fans because of the opportunities that they do provide for growing that list, but if you're using Bookfunnel, you have to use Bookfunnel with a strategy too. Considering usually when somebody finds your book on on Bookfunnel. They request it, it may be, they may forget why they requested the book, when they requested the book, like those are the most important people to build a nurture sequence with because they may have been like me, go, gone into a promo and downloaded 32 books just because the cover or the description looked good and have no idea who you are as an author or what you're doing. So make sure, you know, that like with anything, there's no magic pills out there. Book funnel isn't a magic pill because you might get 200 new email subscribers through a Promo, you still have to do the work on your end to convert those cold subscribers into your warm audience. So that was that was a really good point, Nancy. And a lot, uh, you know, it, it it's one of those things that it takes time and energy and effort to do. But if your long term goals are building a you know a, an email list full of raving fans who will share about your book, review your book, um, you know, recommend your book to other people, and buy your next book, then you have to put in the work. Great point. Did anybody else want to add anything before we move on to Raywin's first point? Nope. Okay, Raywin, you're up.
2: So I think it's kind of funny because all of our points are kind of interconnected but different. And I love that because it really drives home that one point on being an author and that it's more than just writing books. It's really in that connection. So my number one thing that I've learned is that You can hire out for help in all the areas, but you still need to be showing up.
0: Yes, amen, say that again, say it again.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes, you can hire out for help in all of the areas, but you still need to be showing up in those areas. So whenever we bring on an author, we ask them, okay, where do you like to hang out on social media? Because we're not gonna start you an Instagram account If you absolutely cannot stand Instagram and you hang out on Facebook or on Twitter, because we want you to be continuing this account after we've launched your book, first of all. But second of all, a virtual assistant, anyone who can be there, they can be, I've been telling authors this quite a lot recently. I personally can be posting on your account for you, but I'm not you. I will never, ever, ever be you. I cannot be you. I cannot come from it from the point of view that I wrote this book. I can only read the book and take what I've read from it. So I could be missing your point entirely. So simple ways of like building in this engagement and this um, authenticity, like Sarah had said earlier, is writing your own copy or writing certain words that you use. For example, we've had some authors who are Canadian. They make sure they check me. They're like favorite is spelled (laughs) F-A-V-O-U-R-I-T-E. And I'm like, you guys better check me every time because it's natural for me not to have the U. But obviously everyone knows you're from Canada. So if you're writing it and it doesn't have a U, that's gonna be a problem. But it's just like little things like that, that are like drive the point home of who you are. And also I would say like actually talking to your followers is probably like the number one way that you could, you don't have to post the post on your account. You don't have to show up in pictures, but if you need to be the person who is replying to comments and questions that people ask, because when someone sees the account and they see your name on it, they wanna be talking to you. They don't wanna be talking to your virtual assistant. And to that note too, if you do have a virtual assistant, make sure your virtual assistant identifies themselves whenever they reply to messages as, hey, I am the author's assistant let me get that information to them or I will tell them to come and comment that type of thing because those are those are the ways that you really build that trust, I would say.
0: Oh. Agreed 100% and I wanted to piggyback on something that you said about about hiring people to help you with your marketing. like I think, I think we at Write, Publish, Cell, I think we're, we are um, the exception that we actually do read all of our authors' books. Maybe not everybody on the team reads it, but at least three people on the team read the books, if not everybody. And um, you know, uh, most marketing companies and most virtualists, I can't speak to most virtual assistants, but I would be very surprised if most marketing companies are actually reading the book. They re- They rely on you to provide the messaging to them and the information so that it does come across authentically. That's just a side note on, you know, being able to write the things that, that make sense. But I say that because just because you hire somebody to do stuff for you, you should not just assume that they're going to be able to do all the things for you. And, and you do, like Ray once said, you do still have to take some level of engagement and activity in your account. Um, you just can't, nobody else can be you. It's. I mean, it's. It's hard unless you work with the person long term for a long time and and really you know train to be that engaged. So great point. Um, did anybody else want to add anything on that? Okay. Well, it's nice because my first point actually integrates really, really well into what everybody has said so far on the authenticity and you know, showing up and being yourself, engaging with your audience, um, and to wrap it all up, my first point is how important it is to clarify your messaging. And we've been talking a lot through our, um, through our training, through our emails, through our workshops, through, through everything lately about using different tools, and doing book launches and marketing for authors who have maybe more than one message. And I'll give a great example. We are currently marketing a book, a beautiful book, um, uh, by Laura for. for Laura Form, Formantini, good grief, Laura Formantini, um, she she has written a wonderful book called 21 Olive Trees, and it is the tribute to her son, Blaze, who died by suicide at 21 years old. And it's a collection of letters and poems and fables and beautiful, beautiful illustrations that she put together in a book. Now, Laura's big platform is that she wants to show people that love and action can heal the world. That is her big platform. That's the message that she really wants to get across to people is that healing comes through loving others and taking actions that love others. But her book truly is for people who are grieving and need, need a message, need a hope, need encouragement, need that for her. And you know, so we have to, we have to be very careful keeping those messages um, separate, because really, you know, if we were to pitch the book to the love and action and the healing and the transformation people, and they got the book, it wouldn't resonate to them in the same way that it's going to resonate with someone who has lived through the loss of someone very close to them, especially the loss to suicide. So the more, the clearer that you can get in your messaging, down to you know exactly who you're talking to and your primary audience and exactly what you're trying to do with your book so that you can show up in front of that audience first and foremost even if there are other audiences that will like your book they will come naturally as, as the book gets marketed and buzz is created about it but you have to market to that one you know have that very clear message market to that one primary audience first because if you try, if you start trying to market to more than one audience at the same time, it gets very, very difficult to do your messaging. Um to everybody else right it gets hard to write the social media posts to use the right hashtags to build that audience of people who know like and trust you because they understand who you are if one day your message is on this and one day your message is on that and your emails all, are, are all over the place and and we know this just from being in write publish Cell because we work with authors from such a broad spectrum some people are just thinking about writing a book all the way to people who have published 30 books already and where they are in the process varies so greatly and it's very very hard sometimes for us to do messaging that speaks to enough people in the right way at the right time so really clarifying your message in the beginning your message can expand of course you can talk about other topics along the way and bring those into the fold of course you can bring a big picture um A a brand to social media as long as your book marketing is is geared directly towards your primary audience and you're very very clear on that messaging for who your book is for so I think that kind of like it nicely ties in with all the things that we were just discussing wrapping that around we didn't even do that on purpose did anybody else want to um, chime in on the clarifying your message point
1: well I will just say before we I don't know, like if anybody else has anything else to say before I speak, but I will say that this is like, actually goes really into what my second point was. So it's really like, it's perfect. You, think we coordinated this you guys, but we truly, it is, we must be so like um, on the same cycle here yeah. that like, we're just like syncing up, you know? Uh,
2: it happens. Um, and I do want to add tonight. one thing. <laughs> I do wanna add one thing. Um, I would say something we've seen done really well with people who have multiple um, messaging is to give out multiple like accounts for social media, multiple lists for emails. Like um, Not Today Negativity comes to mind because a lot of Dr. Onika's current follower base was people who had come for her children's book. And then her new book was more focused on for adults and spreading that message of positivity. And so she has two accounts. She has her Dr. Didi Dynamo account where she's still sharing about not today negativity. But then there is the not today negativity account, which is very honed in on posts that are about specifically for adults for negativity. It's not tying it all in. So if you're stressed about having two different, you know, book topics, big overarching messages, you can do a second account on a social media platform, a second page, like an overarching not today negativity page, Dr. DD Dynamo page, or you could just kind of morph your message, focus on one at one point, like one quarter, and then switch it like Mm -hmm. three to six months down the line, start flowing into another topic. So you don't have to have multiple accounts but there are ways where you can have multiple messaging without making it choppy. Yeah. And I think that that's something that a lot of people, they think it's like all or nothing either mix it up all the time or don't ever mix it up.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. And it's why we decided, even though it is a pain to have separate social medias and accounts and emails and everything for the women in publishing summit versus write, publish, sell, versus um purple butterfly press and chrysalis press you know even though it, it is a paint, it's because of that clarity of messaging and clarity of audience and trying to stay focused on what's important in front of your audience and not not everybody who comes to the conference wants all the stuff that we're putting out year-round the right published cell not everybody who comes to the conference or follows right published cell wants to know about our children's book releases you know so you you do have to to have those places separate. And not everybody's going to have that situation. But if you're if your topics, for example, right now, we're really speaking to the people that just that are doing like what Raylan just said. We have a lot of authors in our community actually who are writing nonfiction and children's books or some sort of fiction and children's books. And those messages and those audiences are just so different. You don't necessarily have to have a pen name, but it is good when you're building, especially if you're using social media to build the following so that you, you know, add people to your email list, add people to your um, launch team and all those types of things that you have the right people involved. Some of the audiences will cross over, but a lot of them will not. So great point. All right, Sarah, what was your second point then? Well, so like I've been
1: in this process since we started working together where I'm like trying to you know, uh, work out the secrets of like, what makes a good email that makes people Mm. take action. And this really like goes into everything that we've been saying, right? So one of the things that I think I have become more like totally sure we need to do, and I wanna share with all the authors out there that this might seem obvious, but you do need to do it. You need to know what you're asking people to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so like we had, again, another great discussion in one of our mentorship groups one time where somebody was like, "Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to write in these newsletters. And we talked about content ideas and stuff like that. But I think what she really meant was that she didn't know what she was asking people to do Mm -hmm. because she didn't. And, and, and she was like, well, I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to ask them for anything. And. I said to her, you know, like, I think that you need to trust the people on your email list, that they want to be there. They have intentionally, it's not like they just dropped out of the sky. They've intentionally come to you. They've intentionally found you on social media. I, I share this all the time with you guys that my favorite authors, I don't actually follow a lot of them on social media. But there's some authors that like, I enjoy their writing, obviously, and I found them on social media and they are engaging. They are giving me like a value add on social media that is hard to quantify, Mm -hmm. but they are also frequently asking me something. And there's a lot of studies out there in the world that tell us that people feel more connected and engaged and more part of something. When we are asking them to partner with us on something, mm-hmm. it's like a like a nonprofit management tool, a corporate management tool. And I've worked in both sectors that you have to ask people to do things. And uh, you know, churches also like do this really heavily. They where when you go to a new organization, they will like ask you, "Can you can you bring plates for next week for our, for our social hour afterwards?" Because when you're asking people to do something, you're bringing them into community with them. And that same idea exists in your emails. And it's also important, you know, and this is something I still struggle with because, you know, I wanna say all the things in the email. I wanna tell you all of the things and ask you, you know, like tell you oh, like this great link that I found and, oh, I I also saw this. And and did you hear, did you hear? And like, we're having this book come out and this book come out, we're having this workshop because we are busy and we are always, you know, as a company, like doing so much. Right. But I think that I've taken some training with um, an expert that Alexa works with. I've talked to Alexa, who has been like, you need to tone it down. Uh, (laughs) And we've sat down and talked about how, like, we need to make one ask in -hmm. an email to make it effective. Mm -hmm. And that ask can be something that doesn't cost anything and we hope that most of the time it is something that doesn't cost anything because we want to be like a value add to you an unquantifiable thing that makes your life better when you follow us on social or open our emails right and for you as an author you want to duplicate that same process right so I think knowing what you want to ask and figuring out like a series of asks maybe that's like part of your content planning of what I'm going to ask each week is it You know, can you share my social media content with your friends? Can you let me know what you think of the first chapter? Can you share uh, this post? Um, Can you uh, leave a review? Um, Can you share a link to buy the book when it's time? Um, And it doesn't always have to cost anything. And I think that's really important. And don't be afraid to ask people they want to do. And it also helps your engagement overall. Yeah, And just one ask per email.
2: Yeah. And I think adding people into like decision-based things that aren't actually decision-based if that makes sense, are really awesome. Like um, doing which cover do you like better or which font do you like better? Ultimately, you're gonna pick the one that you as the author thinks fits the book the most or portrays the message message the most, unless your editor is like, uh, no hard pass. You can't use that title. Right. But like, if you ask your audience, Hey, do you like the airplane in this corner or in this corner for your book cover? They're going to be really excited. And then if you pick the one that they did, they're going to be like, Oh my gosh,
0: I did it. I, I had a part in that. Yes, exactly. it's it is true. And, um, you know, I know Nancy wants to add something on this topic too, but before I forget, I just wanted to say, you know, there is there is truth to the whole thing of analysis, paralysis, and this is something that we've talked about in our in our emails that go out because we do tend to have so many things going on, you know, focusing it down to that one, that one call to action so that we're not, unless the intent of the post is, a roundup of some sort or something like that. For example, if you're sharing resources of other authors, like you might say, these are the best 10 books I've read in the past year. And you provide all the books in in a description and a link to those books or something like that. Like in that case, you can definitely give, but ultimately it's one call to action. It's I'm giving you my resources and you get to choose which
3: one you wanna go try and read. All right, Nancy. Um, well, two things came to mind when I was listening to Sarah. The first one is, is that I think about how our audience is mostly women. We have a few, you know, good men in there, I think. But it is mostly women. And I, when Sarah mentioned um, the author who said that she didn't want to bother anybody, I think that really speaks to maybe how women are kind of conditioned a little bit to... Um, not ask
0: and not to not make
3: a strong ass, right? At, or to kind of like pussyfoot around it. And I think mm-hmm. as women, it's a really important skill to build just ask for what you want. Yeah. So don't beat around the bush. Don't like be cute about it. Just, you know, yeah. what is it that you want? Make it easy for people mm-hmm. to help you. Cause that's another thing that women really hate to be burdens or they don't like to help or they feel like they can do it all themselves. And you know that's the whole point of having a community, right? Like we're here to support you to help you. And so you know, make the ask. you know And I love Sarah's reference to the nonprofit world because that was the first thing that came to mind is that you really need to you need to make the ask. Um, and then the other thing, that I was thinking about was, I hope I can remember what it was. Um, (laughs) Oh, um, also not just for, you know, the ask is not just for your mailing list, but it's also for um, one-to-one communication. Like if you want somebody to give you an endorsement for your book, if you want somebody to show your book to somebody else that they know, don't be afraid to just say, hey, I had this book and I noticed that you're connected to this person on LinkedIn, and I would love it if you could help me get connected with this person, or um, I think that my book would really resonate with you, and I would love it if you would review it and give me a blog, or this is what I need, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a really good skill all around to practice in promoting your book. So those are just like the two things that came to mind.
1: I will say too, that I feel like um, sometimes, as you were saying, we're conditioned sometimes to feel like we're burdens, you know, when we ask people for things. But I think that all of us, if we sit with it and think about how we feel when somebody asks us to do something, um, it feels good to be asked to help. It feels good to be valued enough and to be somebody that somebody comes to for like you you are important. your opinion matters to me is what you're communicating to them when you're asking them for that. you you're you're a voice that I value. your your um, way of being in the world is something that I would like to emulate. Can you help me? You know, and I think it feels like good. I don't think if we sit and think about our actual experience of being asked to help nine times out of 10, yeah, there's always the person who's like, can you like watch my dog, you know, or something like that. And you're like, again, but like nine times out of 10, we're being asked to do something that like is, is a compliment to our, our own selves. So it's nice. Yeah. So don't feel bad about it, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: I think most people do genuinely want to help and they do genuinely want to, um, you know, be, be a part in, in helping you as you're doing something significant. But on that note, I do want to play the devil's advocate and just say the other part of that though, is that there are, you know, if you're going to somebody who is super, uh, well-known or, um you know or somebody who has a lot of stuff going on and you do ask for for a big ask from somebody you know try not to be too disappointed if someone does tell you no because there's lots of reasons why someone would say no and i know that we we've seen this a lot in this last year actually um you know last summer there was one day in august when over 600 books were published and that's by known isbn so that doesn't even count anybody who self-published a book and didn't do an isbn or anything like this so there's a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot of people publishing books and a lot of reviewers and a lot of people who are experts in the ind- in whatever industry a lot of people are being asked to re- uh, endorse and and give blurbs and all of that kind of stuff so you know keeping in mind um that sometimes people just can't do everything so you know don't be too upset Never. if someone does say no.
3: <laughs> and, but also like, even when somebody said no, that's still a really good opportunity for relationship building mm-hmm. because you have like started that connection with that person, Thank them profusely yep. for their time, for considering it, for, you know, even just getting back to you because a lot of yeah. people won't even get back to you. That's right. And so even when you have a quote unquote rejection, that is the start of a relationship. Yep. You know, and Good so point. think about it that way. That's
0: a great point.
2: Yeah, I would definitely say the majority of the time that somebody says no, it has nothing to do with the actual product or right. thing you're trying to get them to do. It has a hundred percent something to do with their time, their money, their mm-hmm. like I say no all the time because I'm like, I want to buy that book, but if I buy it now it's just going to sit on my shelf and I'm not going to read it. Yeah. But the same thing happens when I reach out to people for our advanced reader copies. A lot of times no one ever answers. If I say, "Hey, do you want to get Hey, do you want to get a free copy of the book?" A lot of times they just don't answer. Yeah. All the times someone answers and says, hey, I'm really too busy right now. Thank you so much. That starts my conversation where I can say, well, what type of books do you like? Yeah. When will you have time? We have some books coming out at this many months. So if you're an author and you can say, okay, well, you know, can I reach back out to you? Yeah. What, what's it's never, the too say, review, no? right? it's exactly. never too late for a review,
0: right? It's never too late.
2: Exactly. Yep.
0: Yeah. Great point. Okay. Let's see. Who went who went second last time? We'll go Nancy this time. Okay.
3: Um, well, this really is just kind of a complete change of subject, but um, <laughs> but we have learned a lot in the past couple of years about bookstores,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and libraries. And I kind of put those in the same category almost because the process is pretty similar. There are some things that um, are specific to getting your books into libraries. But again, it all comes back to relationship building. Mm-hmm. And um, I will say that um, I'll talk about libraries first because that's really um the first um thing that i really learned about um in terms of getting your book placed somewhere else besides amazon and really everything that i know about libraries i learned from amy collins yep um she was generous enough to give me access to um her library marketing um course curriculum program whatever, I still use it. (laughs) Um, But the number one thing that I learned about marketing to libraries is that librarians have to justify putting your book on their shelf. And so because, because of that, the author really needs to show the library or the library system what you are doing to bring foot traffic into that library. They want to know about your local marketing campaign. They want to know if you're doing local events. They want to know if anybody of their patrons even know who you are. Like, what is it about you that would bring patrons into the library? Because that is how they justify their budgets. By their borrowing patterns and who's coming into the library or who's borrowing the book on um, online, the ebook or whatever. So it's part relationship building and part marketing. Mm-hmm. So the relationship building comes in by, you know, you need to be a patron of your library. Like like seriously, as an author, you need to be yeah. in your library as a patron, as a member of the community, connecting with the librarians there, connecting with the other patrons there, and um, maybe offering some, something of value to the library, like, hey, I will come in and do a reading, or um, I will do a workshop, like if you're a nonfiction author, you could go in and say, I could do a workshop on XYZ, especially if you are um, personal transformation or business, because yeah. a lot of libraries have programs. What did I just see on um, Instagram? One of the authors that I follow actually has a entrepreneur in residence program at their library. It's, it, it's my girl, Roshonda. Yes. which I think is like amazing you know it's so amazing and so libraries are just full of untapped potential they have so many programs for the community and programs that you as an author can offer value to and then the other piece of it like I said is the marketing like you have to show um that you have readings booked that you um that you're doing maybe an advertising campaign, a local advertising campaign, um, something that will bring people into the library and say, hey, I need the newest release from this author. Um, And you can also, um, if you're relatively unknown or if you're just unknown, like a lot of first time authors are, this is another way that relationship building comes into play, this is another ask that mm-hmm. you can have for your readers and for your audience. Hey, if you live in this area, please go into this library and request my book. Yeah. Because if, you, if you're, if and I'm gonna to get to this in a second when we talk about bookstores, but a big lesson that Alexa and I learned in 2017 when we went to book expo. <laughs>
0: I was gonna um, share that story if you didn't. I was like, that, was like isn't this cute?
3: <laughs> yes. I mean, I love that story because it was really one of those moments where you literally could see the light bulb. Like, yeah. it was like, ding. Yeah. And I have to say, and Sarah will um, know who I'm talking about here, it was actually the owners of a bookstore in downtown Bethel, Connecticut, two birds, who looked at um, a publishing one sheet that um, Alexa had put together of her catalog. And we looked at that one sheet of oh, both books. Thank you, Sarah. Um,
0: I'll never forget him. He is ingrained in my brain for the rest of my life.
3: <laughs> like because this, this catalog said that the books were available on Amazon. And he was basically like, no nope, no bookstore is ever going to order any of these books because, well, we don't like Amazon. So um, I think Alexa probably, you know, like the direct quote, I don't know, but the exact words that he said. Um, But the same is true for libraries. Librarians get their books from a specific source. Okay, Your, your book cannot just be available on Amazon. It has to be available through a distributor that that library will get the book from. Um, And so same thing for bookstores. Bookstores will order from Ingram. They will order from um, Baker.
0: Baker and Taylor. And I think they order from Bookshop too. Well, um, or they can, can't they, like, I don't. Um, isn't Bookshop,
2: Baker and Taylor, like, the biggest one for libraries?
0: Yeah. That um, I don't know.
3: There's a few of them, but there is. Um, it is
0: a big distributor, but I don't yeah. know if it's the main. But the
3: point is not Amazon. Right. All right. No bookstore is going to order your book on Amazon. So um, the biggest thing that we've learned about bookstores is that um, there are actually there's more than one way to get your book into bookstores. And it's the same thing. Bookstores want to know that your book is going to bring traffic into the store. Yep. Whether it's people buying from their website or people actually coming into the store and getting it. So um, you need to, first of all, build relationships with your local bookstores. Get to know the book buyer at the bookstore to grow in introduce yourself, find out, first of all, what their threshold is for um, the wholesale discount on the book. Because we've had bookstores write back to us and say, hey, this book book looks really great, but your discount is not high enough.
0: We're not going to And before you go on, I want to add something to this point because this is very, very, very important. If you go to a bookstore and they tell you that their minimum amount is 30%, your discount on Ingram has to be 45 because Ingram takes a 15% cut. And then so if if you put it at 30 because that's what the um, bookstore told you and Ingram takes 15, then you're actually only giving a 15% to retailers. So whatever the bookstore tells you as a minimum, this, the industry standard is 55%, 40% at retailers and 15% for, for Ingram, through Ingram. That's, the indus- that's not the industry standard. That's the, um, the Ingram industry standard, I should say.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so a lot of times bookstores will say, well, we have a consignment program, which mm-hmm. is another good valid legit way to get your book on the shelf because the bottom line is that for a bookstore it's a business decision Mm -hmm. Uh, their profit margins are so slim yep and also for you as the author you don't want to take the risk of having your books returned and a lot of bookstores really do prefer that your books are returnable so that if they can't sell your books they can get their money back that's right so, um, consignment is a great way to go, and um, we did that recently with um, Before Pittsburgh. Um, Casey's book is available at Fiction Addiction in Greenville, whoop, South Carolina. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Uh, <laughs> and you know, when most bookstores that I've been in, they don't have a big sign that says these books are on consignment. No, Not usually. Really. They're just, they're just on the shelf in the store so that's really ultimately what matters is that your book is available in the store for people to buy on the spot if you're really having a hard time then this is another ask for your audience for your readers go into the bookstore and request my book yep because if they if there are people requesting the book then they will be more likely to stop it Um, So that's probably the biggest lesson I think that we learned about bookstores and libraries. It's really you need to understand what bookstores and libraries want and what their threshold is for even considering to stock your book. Yeah, and
0: you know, a, a couple of things on that. Like it, it digs like this digs into such a deeper conversation that we can't possibly get into today. But it's really making sure that it's it's set up properly on Ingram Spark and that they can actually find it. And if you're going into a bookstore and saying, "Can you order my book?" Like it has to be in one of those tools that they can buy it from. Again, they are very adamantly opposed to ordering books through um, Amazon. But I will say with librarians, librarians are one of those things that that it's gonna vary drastically from location to location and, and type of librarian to another type of librarian, which to Nancy's point, like you have to be going in and talking to people and finding out what they require. I've talked to some librarians who say they have they're in charge of their budget and they can spend wherever they want to so if they see a good book that is on Amazon they may or may not purchase it from Amazon so that's not as hardcore of a line drawn in the sand there but then like with children's books for example I was speaking to um a friend of mine from college who is a librarian at a local school here and um and she told me that she will only order children's books that, the, that she can get through Follett. So again, that's another um, another thing to consider. So you have to be doing the research on where you're trying to market. And this is an interesting, sorry, this is probably going way too in the weeds, but this is, I found this to be a super interesting fact when I was talking to um, a distributor that we're working with on, on Lara's book. And she was telling me, you know, that orders are often done. It makes sense, but I'd never thought of it this way. Like with an author, because they're out and about in their local community, because their friends and family are going in, like you mostly see hubs of ordering, like in the region where the author is at. So, you know, um, I don't even remember where I was going with that point, except for the fact that you just want to make sure that you are getting out and about so that people are, are are looking at your book, are seeing your book, are placing the orders. And then those those types, if a book is doing really well, librarians and retailers talk about it. If you've got a book that's blown up in books a million in Columbia, the books a million in Greenville might also pick it up or something like that. So you know, keeping all those things in mind as you're considering your marketing, but it starts with having the book placed in the right places in the first place. So great points, Nancy, we've learned some, um, I'd say we've learned some really tough lessons in those two categories just on their own, because it's hard. And if everybody, you know, there's a, there's a reason why not everybody is in bookstores and there's a reason why, you know, it's, it's, it's much harder to do this, the indie publishing way sometimes than going through people who are connected and have these inroads. So great, great points, good discussion. Um, okay, Raywan, have you gone yet on your second point? No.
2: No, we're, we're no longer on a course though. My second point has nothing to do with this. That's but okay, it-
0: <laughs> you coordinated really well or didn't even accidentally yeah. coordinate really well the first time. Our first point time. went
2: real well. <laughs> um, so my second point, then something I've really learned as um, social media has changed so drastically in the last, I gosh, I would even say two years, right? is that there are all of these ways that social media wants you to show up with your face, with you doing things and connecting that authors just don't feel comfortable about. And so they don't even attempt it. And so I'm talking about TikTok, Instagram reels, YouTube videos, book readings, all those things that require your face at some point and you don't feel comfortable with it. And it's so common. Like, first of all, that's like the first thing almost every author I've spoken to has been like, I don't really like to do video or I don't really like to be in person unless they're doing like an in-person book reading where their friends are there like egging them on, right? So um, I've really spent a lot of time developing these ways that authors can show up. They can have their picture or they could have something that doesn't show their picture, but it shows their bookshelf behind them. Like it, you could do a bookshelf video. You could do a video of you putting a book like in your little free library in town. Like there's so many ways that you could take advantage of these new trends and these new asks of the social media community, which bumps you up in the algorithm because you're using them. But not only that, it gives your audience that content where they want to connect with you. Not everybody is going to be our friend Kiki who shows up on Instagram Reels with her husband all the time. <laughs> Not everyone's going to be like that, but you can still show up on Instagram Reels, on videos, on YouTube, on book readings, all those things by using some other thing. You could hire, if you have a children's book, you can hire someone to be a character from your book and do a reading. Yes. like I thought it was Love so that. cute when um Elle Montemayor did her dress matched the dress in the book and she like took pictures and did that like there are so many ways that you can draw those parallels and pull into the trends that are happening without your face and your voice and you having to be front and center doing silly little dances which obviously I'm going to make that a TikTok uh, or Instagram commercial for this podcast episode me is doing but i don't know i can't do it i don't even know how Do you know
0: we go together like yeah but
2: that's not the song
1: Yeah. It's like, it is. yeah. Oh,
0: like, and it's, you're supposed to go like this at the end and then it, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That went in a different direction. Uh, no, it's it's not <laughs> <so laughs> true. It's so, it's so true. And you know, I, even I am like loathe to make videos on things like when it's time consuming and I feel like I have to have so many things just right. The background, the, the noise, the lighting, is it, you know, the makeup, the hair, all these kinds of things. So I totally get why people, um, but shoot. I mean, when we did our TikTok workshop the other day, as an example, like all I did was open up Princess Monroe and flip through a couple of pages and take some and take a video of me taking pictures of the in, or a videoing the inside of the book. And, you know, it wasn't the highest quality. It didn't have any special effects or filters or anything because I literally did it in 30 seconds and posted it within one minute. So I was trying to prove to myself and to other people that, like, you can do something that would be meaningful in a short amount of time. If I was going to, you know, do another one, I'd probably try and spend at least two minutes to make it a little better, but, <laughs> but yeah, there are lots of great ways and, you know, follow. Um, I mean, Raven's doing great, great, um, great reels on the women in publishing site. Now she does stuff on the purple butterfly press one on right, publish Sell, and on any of our authors that we're marketing. She's been, Um, creating stuff for them to use on their reels and everything. And it is, it just to the point that if you're building that audience, you have to be doing the things that are going to help you grow. And I'm telling you what, when when she showed me the stats behind some of the posts, like seeing like 11,200 views on a post in 24 hours, that was a reel with good music, as opposed to a still image that got like 30 views in the same time frame you know i mean it, it really does make a difference so great point awesome point okay so my very last thing that i want to say that i think wraps this all up with a nice little bow is that excuse me for being a little tough love here none of anything that we have just talked about matters if you Produce a book or publish a book that is not good or that isn't positioned well or that has a terrible cover or that hasn't been edited or any of these things. And we just saw, I shared this with Ray Wynn earlier. I think I shared it with all three of you, actually, Um, a post that I saw on Instagram of an author basically defending her book because it got some really unkind Reviews And without going into a lot of details, it was largely because of, uh, I think that maybe I, I'm just reading between the lines here so I could be totally wrong, but it felt like there might have been some, some content that people took issue with. Or, um, you know, didn't have sensitivity readers, maybe. And apparently there were a lot of critiques on the quality of the writing as well. And when you get into a position where you're having to say, well, my my future books will be better or something like that, like let's try not to have that be our scenario. You know, do things right from the beginning, from the beginning, make sure it's it's edited and proofread and if it needs another round through if you're finding things you know do do those things as well make sure it has a cover that's been designed by a professional cover artist you guys a lot of us think our cover designs look so good i thought my first cover looked so good it did not but i couldn't see that until until you know a very kind mentor told me this is not what book cover good book covers look like and you need to spend some time researching what other book covers in your genre look like you need to spend some time seeing what the elements of a cover are you need to go to the industry standards checklist and see what elements should be on your cover and on the spine and all these types of things and those were not unkind words she wasn't being mean to me she was trying to help me and she you know changed the rest of my career, basically, by giving me that knowledge base and by and by sharing that information so that my book could be better. You know, we all make mistakes as, as beginning authors. None of us come out with perfect books in the beginning. And I'm not saying that you should have that expectation, but there's a lot that you can do before you go to launch, going to critique groups, getting beta readers, getting advanced readers, um, having sensitivity readers, you know, being so careful about the things that you write about if they're knowing that if you, tr- if you decide to write controversy, you're going to also welcome controversy into your life, things like that. But having a, having a well-designed cover and making sure that your book is positioned well and all positioning includes the metadata. It includes keywords, categories, a good cover that people that fits the genre. Um, I, we're going to do a webinar in January with Alex of Lytics, which I am super, super stoked about, but I had like a two hour phone conversation with him the other day and we were talking about all kinds of stuff. And, um, and one of the things we were talking about was cover design and how often authors think Ooh, I've designed this cool unique cover nobody has a cover like this I've never seen a cover like this and and he was like that's not a good thing especially in certain genres in certain genres and he used the example of um the thriller the thriller mystery genre he said there's three basic covers there's three basic covers if you if you look at all the thriller covers out there you know it's either going to be like you know the the person getting like stat would be like this. I can't remember what they are, but anyway, he showed me like the three basic ones and variations of those. Right. But if you come out with something totally different from that and are like, Oh, everybody's going to love it. It's so unique. It's actually not the case because what happens is people get confused. They look at the cover and they're like, this can't be a thriller book. It doesn't, it doesn't subconsciously, when I look at this book, it doesn't lead me to believe, oh yeah, this is like the other thrillers that I've read. So, you know, knowing those kinds of things are a huge part of your author journey. Um, And Just like knowing where to place your book and all those types of things. So positioning is huge. Um, I do believe in our uh, maybe November webinar I'm not sure right now I don't think we've scheduled publish yet but when published does there when Kathy mice have published does their um, webinar for the women in publishing summit I know she's going to talk about positioning and. Um, And also the editorial process as part of positioning. So that's going to be a webinar you're going to want to, to come to and learn about, because these are the things that truly make or break your book. And if you're not setting your book up for success from the foundation, then it really doesn't matter anything else that you do beyond that point, because you're not going to be able to get the good reviews, the good sales, the good traction, the good buzz around your book. So that's my soapbox on that. And before I forget to say it, make sure you go to womeninpublishingsummit.com forward slash events to, we are about to start our whole webinar series for the 2022 conference. I can't believe we're already talking about that, but it is that time of year. So, um, so we are going to wrap this up with our round. And first of all, I just want to thank you ladies, um, publicly for being such a wonderful team to work with and for everything that you bring into this business and the dedication that you give to our writers and to me and to, you know, taking this really seriously because we're always we're challenged, we challenge, I think we challenge ourselves. And I see you all always dig into how we can do things better and how we can make sure that we're on top of the industry news and on top of the industry changes and on top of everything that's happening. And I'm super proud to have you um, on my team, on my company, my company, all those kinds of things. So now let's do a last time around. Um, Who wants to go first with kind of like final thoughts, final, like pull it all together, whatever you want to do we'll just go in the same order because people like consistency. So see what happened there? We just, we just gave a total example of what happens when you throw out something that people aren't ready for. Like we had been going in an order, Sarah, Nancy, Raywin, And then I was just like, who wants to go, but no, Sarah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. So I think that the parting words are, that I have are just like what I find myself again, telling our clients all the time is that you know, you don't have to do all the things you have to do the thing that is right to sell your book and the thing that is right for your book and not your next door neighbor's book and not the next book you're going to write. Um, and, and try and find as much joy and happiness in it as you can. This is a job, uh, and it is a job that most of us are doing while we're doing another job too. Um, and you have to uh, try and wring whatever joy and pleasure you can get out of this um, out of this out of this piece of marketing your book. You love the writing. you wanted to write this book and put it out into the world. And communicating with your readers is just an extension of that. So try and find the love in it. And I think you'll have a great experience. So
0: yay, yay. <laughs> um, I love it.
3: Nancy. Um, I guess my parting thought would be that um, you I had it all planned out in my head and then I forgot it. But <laughs> that's okay. I will, I have the gist of it. Um, which is that you need to think about what your ultimate goal is and think about Um, whether the things that you are doing make sense for that goal and you need to listen to people okay if somebody knows more than you about something you should listen to them because they that person is taking the time to tell you these things because they are invested in your success Right. They want to see you be successful. All right, so you need to just kind of let go of your ego. Yes. And allow people to help you, to give you advice. I mean, ultimately, you can decide that the advice is not for you, but don't dismiss it out of hand because it's different from what you've done or it's different from what some coach told you that you needed to do that doesn't even understand your business or yeah. your industry, you know? So um, those would be my parting words. It's like really, what is the thing that will help you achieve your goal and just, you know, humble yourself a little bit, I think.
0: You are 100% correct. And when Brooke <laughs> told me that comment about my book, I could have said, I like my cover and I'm sticking with it anyway, and this is my pride and this is my book and blah, 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 blah but she's an industry expert she's been in the industry for 30 years worked for traditional houses one runs she writes press which is one of the most successful if not the most successful hybrid publishing company out there so it would have been silly to get hurt about her feedback and to feel was i was i sad of course i was were my feelings a little bit hurt yes especially because of the nature of my book you know but at the end of the day i did what nancy just said I said to myself, she is not trying to hurt me. She is trying to help me. And this is good criticism, constructive criticism that I need to take. And you know what? I got the cover redesigned and it is worlds better than it was. And it, and the book Sunshine After the Storm now like represents, I think what I wanted it to represent in the first place. And I didn't know that until I saw the redesigned cover. I did not do my own cover design by the way, which is another point that you need to be careful on if you're using graphic designers who are not trained as cover designers, that someone can do a graphic for you, but they may not be able to do the cover. So even if you have a quote unquote cover designer, look at their portfolio and make sure that the covers that they've designed look like other books in the bookstore. before you, you know, and if you love their art, you can always use their art and have a cover designer implement that art into a professional cover, so that's my, that's my two cents on that one, Um, but great, 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 great points, I appreciate all of that, and just, I mean, we're not, we are not mean people, we do not, I find no joy in hurting someone's feelings, but I do, do, have a problem with sitting back and not saying something. And you know what? An example with a client the other day, like I have a really hard time saying things that I feel like are going to hurt someone. I said, I got, got up the nerve to say something to one of our clients. And you know what turns out? She, she needed the validation. She wasn't happy with the illustrations either. She needed the validation that this was not going in the right direction. And so we shifted gears and went in a better direction and her book is going to be better because of it. Okay, enough on that one. All right, Raven.
2: Well, not quite so profound, but in my area of expertise, uh, if you're on social media, it is 100% social media, social. We got to focus in on that word. You're not going to rely on your social media for sales. Right. You're not going to rely on your social media for you know, getting people to all see your book. It will do that naturally. People will be sharing, but you need to be social on your social media. You need to be engaging on other people's posts. You need to be posting social things instead of just like the same picture of your coffee mug or your food every single day and expect people to want to read your book because you're sharing your favorite dessert every day. Of course, they'll want to read your book. No, you need to be social And if you struggle with being social, there are so many tips and resources out there that can tell you how to be social. Just use those tips as opposed to using the tips that say, put 30 hashtags in every post and make sure you are using your location and make sure you're using a link and blah, blah, blah. No, those are important things, yes. But the number one thing is that your social media is building your audience's relationship with you socially they want to be your friend be your friend of the readers of your book
0: Agreed so much, and Ezra really wants to be part of this podcast. And he literally, the whole time Raywin was on mute, was nowhere in the picture, was not talking to her, was not doing anything. And the moment she opened her mouth, (laughs) he's there trying to get in. Well, he wants to be part of this conversation. I hear it. Well, and he's always
2: yelling, Alexa, Alexa,
0: (laughs) hi, Ezra. Well, you know, to that point, Raywin, you know, it's, it really is about being social and engaging with people and building a following of people who are interested in you as a person. I believe today I posted a post or maybe yesterday, I posted a post with zero hashtags, zero anything. It was just me posting a picture of something going on in my life that I wanted to share. And I got just as many likes as I do when I have you know all the hashtags and all the things so it's about creating that community and people wanting to be part of your you know part of your 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 life basically because we're interested in people in their lives and in authors and I don't really have much to add to to that either I think those were great final takeaways other than um you know, this is a journey, and you're going to learn, and you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to have the wrong cover at some point in time, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. But um, hopefully, that hearing some of these things that we've that we we only know these things because we took the time to learn them and to make mistakes and to you know show up at a book you know talking to a book store owner with a with a sales sheet that said our books are only available on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> and those types of things that taught us some of our biggest lessons in the process. So get out there, network, go to conferences, talk to other authors who are farther along than you in the journey, talk to publishers, talk to you know different people and learn as much as you can. And there is so much great content out there um, to help you in the process. So Happy 50th episode to us. Thank you, ladies, for staying up late to record this episode. And we hope oh, to some have of us. <laughs> yeah, some of right on the east, yeah. on the west coast. It's not so late. It's real late for me and Sarah over here on the east coast. But um, yeah. All right. Womeninpublishingsummit.com forward slash events. Go over and see what we have coming up. And thank you for your attention as we rambled on and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> all right bye hi y'all
2: <laughs> you don't have to give me your heart. you don't have to
0: give it away you don't Thank you for joining us on the publisher podcast we hope to see you back for the next episode great huge thanks goes to Jasmine Commerce for the use of her song you can find Jasmine on soundcloud go check out all of her music.